week we spent a lot of time talking about bearing fruit for the Savior, bearing fruit for the Lord. And uh, I think it was a, a good time of examination, if you will. And today the, the theme is somewhat carried through, although uh, the emphasis here is on love. And so I've entitled this Continue in His Love. Uh, this is the phrase taken from the end of verse 9. Continue in my love. So um, if you're able to stand, let's stand one more time for the reading of God for John chapter 15, verse number 9. Today we'll be reading verse 9 down to verse 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No man has greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. From now on, I do not call you servant, for the servant does not know what his master does. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Lord, we turn to you in this moment, and we ask for your grace and your favor. Thank you for speaking these words so many years ago. Thank you for the fact that we have them here today. As we learn, as we take this in, I pray that you will give me Holy Spirit grace and leading to explain, to apply, and to make the truth known, and to work in each heart. One that is uh, maybe far from you, that you would draw them, or any that would be unsaved, that you would save them. And Lord, for those who are close to you, that they would be strengthened in their walk with you, that you would get the glory from this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. To continue in his love. Keep on in my love. Jesus tells these disciples that he loves them, and he tells them how to continue in his love. We are very quick to point out that Jesus loves even the wanderer. Jesus loves even his child who is disobedient, and that is very true. But when he says to continue in his love, he's saying that there is an experience of love that the obedient have, that the disobedient do not have. Um, I think I have experienced this as a child with my own parents. Now, it is true that my parents loved all of us children. It is true that uh, they loved us even in the moments where we disobeyed them. But you know, my experience of their love was very different, whether or not I was obeying or not obeying them. Um, you know, sometimes my father's love to me was shown in that he took me aside and took some uh, wood and applied it to my back end. And I cried and I wept. Now some people say, oh, that's not love. Well, the Bible disagrees. The Bible says that is love. But it's a very different sort of love. It's a love that cares for the best of the child and wants them to obey. But it's uh, 
right? But in those moments where I obeyed my parents and I was cooperating with them, they loved me, I loved them, but I experienced something very different. And when Jesus says, continue in my love, he's not telling them, you, you know, if, if you're not good enough, I'm not going to love you. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, if you walk with me, if you live in harmony with me, you will experience my love in a way that you would not otherwise. Notice verse 9, he gives the measure. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That's quite the measure, isn't it? How much did God the Father love God the Son? Well, we can't even quantify that, but we can say the most, the greatest, the best, to the perfect way. And he says, in that same way, so have I loved you. That is, that is astounding, especially as we're going to get further on in the text to realize that Jesus loves people who are sinners, who have uh, offended him and, and sinned against him. But here he says, I've loved you in the same way, with the same strength of the Father's love for me. That's how strong Jesus loves me. There are moments in your Christian walk where you may doubt the love of God. Sometimes it's not a mental thing, it's more of a feeling thing. You say, well, I don't feel that he loves me. Well, I think this is a great verse to turn to. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That is the level in which Jesus loves us. The same degree that the Father has loved Christ. And then he gives his command, continue in my love. Continue in that. This word is the same as abide, as to dwell, as to remain. And um, elsewhere in 10 and later in the passage, we see the word abide. And it's, it's the same word. He's saying, look, I have loved you. Now live in that love. Remain in that love. Be where that love is strong. You know that the Bible says that the church, one of the purposes of the church, is to strengthen the love of the saints. If I'm not mistaken, we read Hebrews 10 for our scripture reading today. And there it says um, that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, right? And in that same passage, I'm going to turn over there so I but in the same passage, it tells us that one of the purposes of gathering together is to provoke one another to love and good works. Let me read it uh, correctly here. Yes, let us consider one another to provoke to love and to good works. In other words, when we gather together, we are provoking or stirring up or encouraging each other to love. And the Bible, Jesus here says, continue in my love. And he says, if you love me, I love you. He makes it very clear. And then he says, if you love me, abide in my love. As Christians, we have to watch our hearts and what, how our love is doing. Sometimes our love wanes. And Jesus says, continue in my love. And this is his command. And I believe in these following verses, he expounds upon that simple command. Continue in my love. So verse 10 goes on to say, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So here Jesus says, here's a measure, here's a way to continue in my love. And that is to keep my commandments. Wow, okay, so one of the ways that I abide or I live or I continue in the love of Jesus is to obey his commandments, to follow his commandments. Now, as we look at the measure at the end of the verse, he says, even as I have kept the Father's commandments, we know how much Jesus obeyed the Father's commandments, right? 100% of the time, right? 
And, and he says, hey, you need to abide in my love. You need to uh, follow and continue in my commandments as well. Now, we're quick to run to, I think as Christians, we're quick to say, well, I can't obey God perfectly. Uh, I can't obey to the degree that Jesus obeyed his Father. So maybe I'm just uh, a fake. Well, Jesus knows our weakness. I think the point is that we would seek to do our best to obey the Lord day by day, moment by moment, as we understand and know his will to do his will. Yes, we may do it imperfectly, but the point is that we are abiding in his love as we seek to obey him. So um, as we think about this, we might, uh, let me catch up here a little bit. Love measured is verse 9. That's as much as the Father that loved him. But here we see love's experience in verse 10, where he says that he will abide in his love as he keeps his commandments. So I just call this love's experience. I have, at certain points in my life, experienced chastening because I have not kept the Father's commandments. If you've been saved a long time, you've probably experienced something like that too. For me, one story that always comes to my mind is I remember there was a time where I, I was tempted to do something. I knew uh, I, you know, I was tempted and I did it anyway. And I remember I got poison ivy really bad after it. It was like the day of or the day after. I came but it just wouldn't go away. It went on for weeks. And had this poison ivy. This was, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago. No, it'll be longer than that now. I think it's before I was married. But, um, but I remember as I experienced that poison ivy and the itching, it was just this constant reminder of you disobeyed. You you ignored what the Lord was telling you to do, and um and what that was 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 the Lord pushing me back, pushing me back to that place of His love. Now some people would say, "Well, what kind of God would give someone poison ivy?" Right? That sounds awful. Why would you? You know, that's that's a horrible story. But no, no, no. If you if you realize that there are some things more important in life than poison ivy and a little itching on the skin, there is a walk with God to be had. There is the love of Jesus. And Jesus was calling me and pushing me back to that place of fellowship with him. That is love. Now notice in verse 12, or verse 11, excuse me, I call this love joy. Love joy. Satan works hard to lie to us. He works hard to cause us to think wrong things about God. And one of the things that Satan tries to tell us is that God isn't any fun. That God has uh, no joy. And that God is not interested in our joy at all, and he would rather for me to be a little sour. That's how God wants us to be. But as I read verse 11, I find that to be complete, complete falsehood. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. So Jesus got done saying, you need to keep my commandments, right? And then the next verse he says, I said that so that you would have my you see how he, he actually says that joy and obedience can go right together. They go hand in hand. And Satan tries to be like, oh, there's no fun in that, right? You can have more fun doing that. No, no, you can go your own way and it's way more fun and God's a little funny that, oh, 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 Jesus said my joy can remain in you. And Satan tries to paint God as some cosmic killjoy who does not want anyone to have any uh, joy or happiness or experience of, of, of pleasure or goodness. And Jesus says, no, you can have my joy. You can have the joy that I give you. Have you ever experienced the joy of the Lord? 
Have you ever known his joy in your heart where you burst forth into song, where you gave him thanks, and where you rejoiced in the goodness of the Lord? That's joy. And you know, it doesn't compare to the, the little, sometimes we use the word happiness, or I, I might use the word giddiness, right? That comes from human, earthly things, and a joy deep in our soul. It can't be compared to that. And Jesus says, look, I, I told you these things so that my joy would be your joy would be full. He uses that word full. One thing I notice about verse 11 is that joy is a gift. He says, I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. He says it's my joy, but it would remain in you. You see how that works? Jesus' joy in us. Well, that means that he gave it to us. It's the joy of the Lord. It's his joy, and he gave it to us. So joy is, is, is a gift, and it's received from God. And as we walk with him, as we speak to him, as we listen to him, and, and as we obey him, joy will then flow to us. I know this is a good test in my life, is if I am lacking joy, and I go day after day like that, all of a sudden I say, how did I get to be so down and discouraged and joyless? And one of the measures I use is if I never sing. If I never sing, and in my own spirit, in my heart, in my sometimes audibly or at least in my heart, that there's no song on my lips. Is that how God intended me to go through my days with no song, with no joy? Absolutely not. And He says, if you'll abide in my love, if you'll obey my commandments, you will have joy. You will have joy. Also. Think of the fact of joy as a purpose. At the end of the verse, he says that your joy might be full. He spoke these things that their joy would be full, that our joy would be full. And he says, I, I one of the whole reasons I told you to do this was that so you could have joy. Do you remember that uh, earlier in the, in the same context, the passage, the disciples were all worried because Jesus was leaving. Remember that? And they were sorrowful, they were sad, and they were worried. Very deep. Jesus is going away. Jesus is going away. Oh, no. This crushed their hopes, their dreams. And Jesus says, listen to me. He talks to them. He talks to them. And he says, I've told you all these things so your joy can be full. And the next few hours, they would be running away like scared cats, you know. And things really did melt down there. But you know what? I believe when you get to Acts 2 and later on in Acts, you find some people that have their joy in the Lord. They were trusting in the Lord. They were obeying the Lord. God was working through them, and they had the fruit of the Spirit. Do you have the fruit of joy in your life? If you're abiding in the love of Jesus, if you're walking with Him, you'll have joy. And Jesus promised it. He said it right here. <clears throat> in fact, the Bible says this. In Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That tells me something about God. His presence has fullness of joy. And so if I am walking in His presence, I too will have joy. And it also, uh, later in Psalm, in Psalm 51, David was writing, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Right? What does that tell us? Joy can be lost. Joy can be restored as we walk with Christ. Now, in these verses that we've looked at so far, the emphasis has been on our relationship with Christ directly. 
He's the vine, we are the branches. He has his joy, he gives it to us. We abide in his love, we obey him, we follow him. But after verse 12, um, we, we have a shifting where he, he starts talking about the relationship that Jesus has with um, believers, okay, in general, and then the relationship they have with each other as well. And so he's going to get to that as well in the following verses. Verse 12, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So now he says, look, Father loved me and I have loved you, and now he says, you need to love each other the way that I love you. Mm. Again, the problem with this verse is the measurement. It's the measurement. If, if he just said you need to love each other, period, we could be like, okay, I need to love each other. And we would look for little glimpses and shades and slivers of love and say, see, done deal. That's not how Jesus said it. He said, specifically, you love one another as I have loved you. This is the measure. And I call this love sharing, but, but he says we need to share his love in the same way that he loves us. Wow. Well, how are we supposed we, uh, to do that? Who were the friends? The eleven disciples he 
true, that he died for his enemies, and he died for the world, and that is all very true. But Jesus here is, is very specifically saying to these men who have walked with him, who have fought, he says, there's no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for a friend. And he goes on to say, you are my friend. He says, I'm laying down my life for you. This is the great love that Jesus has. John is the writer of this book. John heard these words with his very own ears. John was the one of the disciples that, yes, they all initially fled. But Peter and John came around him, right? They followed after and they watched. And John and, and Peter, after he sinned, he left and he wept and he was gone. But John followed Jesus even to the cross and was there at the cross when Jesus was being crucified. And I believe that John heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And John got to see and experience and know the Savior in his personal, living, historical way. And he is called the apostle of love. And I'm told history says that in his final days, they would even haul him to church in some sort of a something, uh, I guess a basket or a stretcher or something. And they would bring him into church, and he would he would say in his old, feeble way, children, love one another. And he was passing on those words from Christ, passing them down to us. And Christians, can I just say that we must learn love. It's a lifelong uh, effort. It's a process. We grow in grace. But, but Jesus even makes such a big deal about it. He says it over and over again. In fact, the last verse of today's text is the same verse as verse 12. He restates it twice. You need to love each other. And he says it here. We read about it in 1 Corinthians 13. We read about it in Romans 12. We read about it in 1 John 4. We all throughout the scripture, we see and learn how told to love each other. So love is a vital command of the Lord Jesus. So I call this love's extent. To lay down life for his friend. But in verse 14, we see love's secret. And this really connects with verse 14 and 15. He says, you are my friend if you do whatever I command you. Now, that sounds like a very unique friendship, doesn't it? Uh, because I've had some friends when I was a kid that almost had this attitude as well. Hey, I'll be your friend if you'll just shut up and do everything I said, right? And that's usually not a friendship call that uh, dictatorship. That's not friendship. <laughs> but when Jesus says this, there's not an ounce of a problem with it. And it clearly shows that the relationship is very unique. Jesus being the Son of God, Jesus being the Savior, he says, I'll call him friend if you do what I say. Hmm. Interesting. So, so Jesus is saying that our obedience brings a closer relationship with him. Do you see that? There are some believers that do not have a close relationship with Christ, but here he says, I call you friend if you do whatever I command you. And then verse 15, and this pairs together, from now on I do not call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master does, but I have called you friend. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. He explains this idea of friendship. And he says, I, I'm, I'm not calling you servants, I'm calling you friends. And he uses this term and he says, the reason I'm doing this is because the servant doesn't know 
after he had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen through the Holy Spirit. So there again, the Bible says that these apostles were chosen by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, remember the position you have. It's my choice that you would be there and not yours. So this verse is not, uh, I don't believe Jesus is making any reference to salvation or saving faith or anything of that sort. It's referring to their apostleship. It would be easy for an apostle to get a what? Amen. And he says, hold on a minute, remember how you got here. I chose you for that spot. It wasn't your choosing, it's mine. And um, and that word ordained means to put in place, uh, to appoint the idea. And, and Jesus put them in the position that they were in. And he tells them, you're going to go forth, you're going to bear fruit, your fruit, fruit will remain, and, um, and you're going to pray, and God's going to answer. What a beautiful reminder that God, is, God wants us to bear fruit, and he's planned for us to bear fruit, and if we will walk with him, it will come to be. So he tells them, hey, you continue in my love. You obey me, walk with me, but here's my plan for you. This is what I have laid out for you, fruit that will remain. Now, is there any fruit that remains from the apostles? Anything at all? Did they do anything that lasted?
I've also had Christians that have spent funds, given money. I've had Christians that have shut their mouth and maybe didn't say as much as they could about me because, you know, I was in a weak spot or something. I've been loved over and over again by Christians in so many different ways. And love has a way of building someone up and giving them strength and giving them grace and courage to keep going. And God calls all of us to love one another. And love takes a lot of different forms sometimes. Love, I've even had some Christians that said, no, I think you're in trouble. I think you've got a problem here. And you know what? That was also love. That was also love. So Christian, we are called to love one another. That is God's chief command, we might even say. And out of that command then flows many other things. The disciples needed to hear this. Just earlier, they had been arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus says, I'm leaving. I'm going to be gone. You guys need to love each other. Don't break down, don't splinter out. Love each other. Bear fruit. Obey me. Walk with me. Continue in my love. And he laid out a path for them. And it's the same path for us as believers today. Let's bow our heads in prayer together. Jesus said these words many years ago to his eleven apostles, but he also says them to us. Do you have the joy of the Lord today? Are you loving the brothers and the sisters in Christ? Are you walking in obedience to Him? In simple communion, are you continuing in the love of Christ? Or maybe as a Christian here, you've kind of been cut off to some degree. Maybe you don't really speak to the Lord in prayer. Maybe you don't uh, love the brothers. Maybe you don't take any time for other believers. I don't know the nature your specific situation, but I know that the words of Christ apply to you. That we are called to love one another. If you're here today and you need to do business with the Lord, um, I urge you to respond to God's Spirit. If you need to pray in your seat or come down in front and pray to get that right with the Lord, whatever it might be. Let's bow together and pray. Lord, I thank you for this time together. Opening your word, listening to what you said to these apostles long ago. Lord, we, we do love each other 